The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Redis. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to the first 2018 episode of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Redis. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. So before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The news professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. Again, to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So a lot of people that I talk to ask me how to access prior TF7 Radio episodes for playback or just get more information about TF7 Radio and our guests. So aside from hearing us on the Voice American Business Channel, one of the easiest ways you can listen to playbacks or different episodes of the show is to go to www.taskforce7radio.com and hit the Episodes tab. Once there, you can easily scroll through every episode of TF7 Radio that has been aired on Voice America and just listen to one episode after another if you want. So also, for your convenience, you can also find all prior Task Force 7 Radio episodes for playback on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn.com, Stitcher.com, and Player.fm. So whatever your choice, it doesn't matter. We make it easy for you. We're all over the place. And don't forget about social media. Please follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. And please, if you're a big fan of the show, whether you're on iTunes or one of our social media sites, please help us to get the word out by leaving a review and giving us five stars, as a lot of you have already done. And I appreciate that so much. The reviews have been fantastic. So it's 2018, and I'm excited to jump right into it. But I would be remiss if I didn't thank everyone for listening to the show and making the pilot series of Task Force 7 Radio, such a big hit. I thought we were going to hit 20,000 listeners for our pilot series, and we hit 23,000. 
So it looks like a lot of you took the time to catch up on some episodes you might have missed over the Christmas break, and that's just awesome. So thank you so much for sticking with me. I hope to keep bringing you the news, commentary, and the guests you want to hear from throughout 2018 and beyond. And this is not, uh, this is just the beginning for Task Force 7. I have a lot more for you to come, not only from Task Force 7 Radio, but from sister company Task Force 7 Technologies too. So stay tuned for the new news. 2018 is going to be our year. Uh, Some major news over the uh, last few weeks. Um, The U.S. blamed North Korea for the WannaCry attack. Researchers found that a design technique used in chips from Intel and others could be allowed to hackers to access data from the memory on your device. Then Apple announced that all Mac computers and iOS devices are affected by the chip security flaws that were discovered by researchers. Then a cybersecurity firm called Digital Defense announced it discovered vulnerabilities in multiple products made by Dell EMC, and on and on and on. But... The bombshell news that I think rocked the cyber world was the partial release of a 37-page redacted letter by former Uber employee Richard Jacobs outlining all kinds of questionable practices by the ride-hailing giant. And that's what I'm going to be devoting all three segments of the show to today. Because some of the stuff in this letter is very, very interesting. Some of it's shocking. And some of it puts the entire Uber culture in question. And if, and if true, and I'm not saying it is, so don't be writing nasty things about me on social media, right? But if it's true, there is a lot of questions in terms of the ethical practices and possibly even the legality of some of the things that Uber executives are doing over there. And quite honestly, this could spell some big trouble for Uber all the way around. So I'm also going to give you my opinions on where I think some of these things outlined in the letter uh, are, are maybe not such a big deal, maybe. And so uh, we're going to take a look at it. But before I get into the letter, you need some background so you understand how the letter came to, to light, how it became to be in the public spotlight. As background, according to the New York Times article dated December 13th, 2017 of last year, and, and by the way, when it comes to cybersecurity news, I love the New York Times. They really have come out with some earth-shattering stuff over there. The news, the cybersecurity news in recent months is, has really been informative. So the letter dated 2000, uh, December 13th, 2017, says the federal investigators are pursuing at least one criminal investigation into Uber. According to a court document released around the same time the article was written just a few weeks ago. So the document, which was submitted by the United States Attorney's Office in the Northern District of California, does not specify what agency is actually investigating Uber, but it is the first public confirmation by the Department of Justice of a federal inquiry into the San Francisco-based ride-hailing company. In the past, the New York Times and others have reported the existence of federal inquiries into Uber's over various issues, but it's, it's important to note that Authorities really haven't said anything publicly about these investigations. So the disclosure came as a result of a stolen trade secret uh, case between Uber and Waymo. So Waymo is another uh, self-driving vehicle unit that operates under Google's parent company. So think of it this way, two powerhouses, Google and Uber, they're at odds here. Waymo had alleged that, the, that Anthony Lewandowski is a former employee 
stole trade secrets about driveless cars from Google before leaving that company and then subsequently used those trade secrets at Uber. Uber has denied Waymo's allegations. So Uber says, no way did we use any trade secrets from Waymo or Google to further our business. The case is scheduled to go to trial soon. If it hasn't started already, I couldn't find where it had been initiated. It seems it's been delayed after the letter was made public. Now, here's where the twist comes in. As part of the Waymo versus Uber case, the Department of Justice submitted to the judge, William Alsup, the Jacobs letter that was subsequently made public. Now get this, in the letter dated November 22nd, the Department of Justice informed the judge in the Waymo Uber case that there was additional evidence that Uber had not turned over to the judge in the civil case he was presiding over. Referring to claims from Richard Jacobs, a former Uber employee, that Uber had been secretly gathering intelligence on competitors. Now you ask why we're talking about this on Task Force 7 Radio? Because cyber intelligence is a domain of cybersecurity, and it because it's a common tactic that information security initiatives use intelligence-led models. And generally, the only people who know how to build and implement and operate these types of cyber intelligence programs are people in the cybersecurity space, mostly government types like myself and many uh, other people, other cybersecurity people that are hired at companies like Uber. So now the question is, when does a cyber intelligence program cross the line? both from a legal standpoint and an ethical standpoint, which at times is much harder to determine. And once it is determined, there are different opin opinions about what can and should be done about it. So the DOJ letter to the judge in the Waymo Uber case states that, quote, in the course of a United States pending criminal investigation, the government interviewed a former Uber employee named Richard Jacobs. So the New York Times continues to report that Mr. Jacobs appeared in court in November for the DOJ criminal investigation into Uber to testify about evidence for the government's case which Jacobs had previously documented in a letter to Uber executives. The court subsequently made a redacted copy of Jacobs' letter public, and now the proverbial you-know-what has hit the fan. The Justice Department's appearance in the, in the case is unusual because the agency is, it does not often intervene in, in matters outside of its own cases. So this is really even an understatement. I mean, think of it this way, folks. The United States government, in the course of launching a criminal investigation into a company's activities, in this case Uber, comes across evidence that they think might be useful in a civil case and voluntarily writes to the judge of that civil case to provide said judge information which they believe is not only pertinent to the civil case, but that the target of their criminal investigation, Uber, also defendant in the civil case, advertently left out of discovery, suggesting it may be detrimental to their defense. I mean, this is some crazy stuff going on here. When criminal cases and civil cases cross paths, it's highly unusual. Typically, criminal, in criminal cases, the United States government and prosecutors are very careful not to intervene in any way, in shape, or form 
into a civil case. So a spokesman for both Waymo and the United States Attorney's Office declined to comment to the New York Times for their article. But continuing the Times article, Uber spokesman had this to say about Jacob's letter. While we haven't substantiated all the claims in Mr. Jacob's letter, and importantly, any related to Waymo, our new leadership has made clear that going forward, we will complete honestly and fairly on the strength of our ideas and technology, end of quote. So the way this statement's worded, it's quoted, while we have, haven't substantiated all the claims in Mr. Jacob's letter. I mean, I take that as meaning that they've substantiated some, substantiated some of these claims, or even, maybe possibly even most of the claims, just not all of them. So, so I don't know, but we're going to be talking about some of those accusations here uh, throughout the, the, the episode tonight. And hopefully it's going to generate a lot of uh, positive discussion. So it was still unclear what alleged crimes the feds were investigating against Uber, but any federal criminal investigation into Uber could be looking into several different matters. So earlier this year, the Times reported that Uber was the subject of a federal inquiry into a software tool known as Grayball which the company used to evade law enforcement in cities around the world. Now, I had some detailed commentary on this subject, which I found particularly alarming, on previous episodes of Task Force 7 Radio, which you can go and listen to on playback 24-7, 365 at your convenience at taskforce7radio.com or any other previous media platforms that I mentioned before, if you so desire. And I highly suggest you do it because it's very interesting stuff if you haven't heard it already. And the, and the Times article ended by saying that Uber is also the subject to inquiries as to whether it bribed officials outside of the United States, which is a violation of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. So it's time to take a quick break, but don't go away. We'll be going to be right back with the details of the Jacobs letter and the accusations that are being used both in federal, criminal, and civil cases against the Uber giant. Stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss it. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
In this fast-paced, technologically driven world of business, the stress can be crushing. It's exhausting business leaders and burning out good employees. It is not enough to work from the top down. We must now learn to work from the inside out. Listen to Innovative Mindful Solutions with Terry Geller. We will discuss ways to transform roadblocking emotions using mindful-based tools you can incorporate into your business and your life right now. Don't stress. Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice America Business Channel. How is your company's marketing plan? Could it use a little help? For most businesses, the answer is yes. Tune in each week to Marketing That Won't Break the Bank. Host Janet Kunst and her guests will show you how and where to bring your marketing to the next level. Each show will feature action strategies that you can implement right away and see results. We'll make this easy for you. Start by tuning in every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're going to keep talking about the Jacobs whistleblowing letter over at Uber and some of the incredible accusations the letter contains. So according to another New York Times article dated December 15th of last year, two days after the first one, Uber secretly spied on key executives, drivers, and employees at rival ride-hailing companies as part of a larger intelligence gathering operation that spanned multiple countries. This all according to this whistleblower letter made by Jacobs that was made public in a, in a, in a federal court, as I previously mentioned. Now, this is a 37-page letter. It's written on behalf of Richard Jacobs, a former Uber security employee, by his attorney, that detailed what he described as the formation of separate internal teams designed, and I quote, expressly for the purpose of acquiring trade secrets from major ride-sharing competitors around the world. So those teams then worked to infiltrate chat rooms and scraped websites for data on competitors, according to the letter. And his letter further alleges that Uber security employees occasionally impersonated drivers to gain access to chat groups, illegally recorded phone calls, and secretly wiretapped and tailed executives of rival companies over the course of 2016. So Mr. Jacobs specifically wrote that, quote, Uber has engaged and continues to engage in illegal intelligence gathering on a global scale. So his letter underscores the lengths that Uber went to in order to get ahead of rivals under its former chief executive, Travis Kalanick, when it prized aggressiveness in the growth of its ride-hailing business over all else. The company is now trying to shift away from that image and, and stabilize after a year filled with scandals, executive departures, internal battles, and all kinds of problems. So Mr. Kalanick stepped down in June, and his successor, 
Dara Khosrow-Shahi has been on an apology tour for Uber's past behavior. So at the time, Mr. Jacobs appeared in court about his letter. In his testimony, he walked back some of, the, some of its claims, including those pertaining to Uber's alleged theft of Waymo's trade secrets, which is interesting. So Uber had privately settled a lawsuit uh, by Mr. Jacobs for millions of dollars last year. I think it was about $4.5 million to be exact. I think it was 4.5. The document nonetheless paints a picture of Uber's other competitive tactics, which Mr. Jacobs said had been carried out by Uber's security team with Mr. Kalanick's knowledge. So at the time, the team was led by Joe Sullivan, the company's chief security officer, who, by the way, I would love to have him on this show to hear his side of what happened. I'm sure anything that Joe had to say would be very, very interesting. And if you listen to the show, I refuse to indict, indict Joe like other media professionals do before hearing from him directly and giving him the chance to speak for himself. Right now, his reputation speaks for him, itself, and, it, and, it, and it's very, very good. So Mr. Jacobs' letter said that after an Uber teams followed rival executives to hotels or private meeting spaces, they relayed their actions to Mr. Kalanick. In one instance, Uber security officials passed along the, the reactions of executives from a competing company when they received the news that Uber was to receive a venture capital investment of more than $3 billion from Saudi Arabian investors. So reports state that Uber is facing at least five separate federal investigations here. I mean, they are just inundated with legal bills, right? Two of Uber's top security officials, including Mr. Sullivan and Craig Clark, a lawyer on Mr. Sullivan's team, were let go last year. So, and this was after the company had disclosed that it had covered up a 2016 hack that affected the accounts of more than 50 million drivers and riders. And see, this is where we finally start to hear a slither on what the former security executives from Uber think about what's going on there. Mr. Sullivan and others on the security team disputed Mr. Jacobs' letter, saying it was, quote, nothing more than character assassination for cash. This according to a statement from Matthew Umhofer, I hope I pronounced that correctly, an attorney for four Uber security employees. So Mr. Umhofer further opined that, quote, Jacobs took the good work that my client did and twisted it into something it wasn't. And in his own statement, Joe Sullivan is quoted as saying, quote, from where I sat, my team acted ethically, with integrity, and in the best interests of our drivers and riders. So I would love to hear more from Joe. I don't know if his attorney is going to allow him to come on the show. I doubt it. You know, I've said this before, but, you know, it would be great to hear his side of the story, what happened over there, because I just know there's so much more to the story than we've heard. There's just so much more to the story. Just being in this business, you know, going through these types of things in the past, there's a lot more going on. And, of course, we'd like to know and get to the bottom of it. But through a spokeswoman, the former CEO, Mr. Kalanick, declined to comment. So let's go back to the Jacobs whistleblower letter. Uh, in no way we're going to get through everything tonight. But we're probably going to break this story down into two episodes. This letter is from Mr. Clayton Halunen uh, on behalf of Richard Jacobs to Angela Padilla, Associate General Counsel Litigation and Employment for Uber in reference to Richard Jacobs versus Uber dated May 5th, 2017 of last year. Mr. Halunen 
states that during our communications last week, you requested that we make our client available for interview to assess the scope of our client's allegations and the facts supporting them. I indicated to you that we did not intend to produce our client, but that we would be happy to provide additional information. Specifically, you said that you are interested in fully investigating the conduct our client observed at Uber that he feels was illegal or improper. Even more specifically, you indicated that our client's assertions regarding destruction, spoliation, and manipulation of discovery documents were of particular concern. That is because this type of conduct would be contrary to your own directives to managers and lawyers with whom you deal with for purposes of litigation holds. And finally, you said that you wanted to have clear understanding of what happened to give rise to our client's employment-related claims. With this understanding of what you are seeking, we provide the information below. We begin with a brief summary of Rickard Jacobs' background and expertise, followed by an overview of the organizational structure relevant to understanding his experiences. This is followed by a description of illegal conduct observed at the company or believed to be occurring. I think it's important to review all of this because without knowing Jacob's background, you really don't have a flavor for what the issues are at Uber. You really don't know what's going on over there. You have no context for what was reported. So if, if you want headlines, I'm sure you can find that anywhere else. But the purpose here is to get into the stories that people are really interested in and to understand. And to understand this background, we have to understand the structure. We have to know where this person comes from. And I think it's just very interesting, especially for people that will not be overly familiar with how cyber intelligence works. So the letter goes on that included in this description is an identification of at least some of the civil and criminal laws believed to be violated in sufficient detail to illuminate Uber's exposure in areas needing investigation. The next section provides an overview of Jacob's employment experience with a focus on the disclosures he made of illegal conduct and the retaliation he experienced because of it. Our hope is that this information will provide the basis for addressing the illegal conduct and resolving Jacob's claims related to his employment at Uber. So the letter goes on to say that Jacob served as Uber's manager of global intelligence from March 14, 2016 until he was unlawfully demoted on February 14, 2017 for raising objections to and refusing to participate in unlawful activity. He was constructively terminated on April 14, 2017, exactly two months later after his demotion. So Jacobs primarily worked out of Uber's headquarters located at 1455 Market Street and at Uber's other location at 555 Market Street in San Francisco, California. And after earning his Master's of Arts degree in Latin American and Hispanic Studies at Penn, Jacobs was recruited into the Defense Intelligence Agency. There, he worked in counter-narcotics operations and studied Colombian counter-drug policy. In these early years, Jacob spent approximately 50% of his time between Cartagena and Bogota. And then a whole bunch of data is redacted from the document after that about what he did. So right away, it would seem that Uber is hiring employees with significant relative intelligence backgrounds. Here's an interesting way of thinking of it. A ride-hailing company, an internet cab company, is hiring counter-narcotics operations officers. If that doesn't pique your curiosity about what's going on over there, nothing will. Nothing. And shortly after the Iraq war began, Jacobs volunteered for two consecutive battlefield assignments in Iraq, supporting special operations forces. During these assignments... There's a description that is redacted in the letter. There's a whole bunch of information that's redacted. It's just it's not available until the letter. 
Um, I'm sure they want to protect what he was doing over there, and, and it might even be classified, probably is classified. The letter states that Jacobs was recognized for excellence and his record of success, but all, again, all the, all the details are further redacted. So Jacobs you know, later decided to marry. He wanted to change pace. He left the, leave the demands of the government and service behind. He wrote, relocated to Seattle, Washington, where he was quickly able to apply his counterterrorism expertise as a consultant to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So after two years there, Jacobs was recruited to Uber Technologies for his unique mix of geopolitical and threat intelligence, overseas experience, and his ability to build and scale an intelligence program. Jacobs was struck by the incredible talented people at the company, the unmatched level of challenges and threats they faced, and energized by the opportunity to build a holistic intelligence team across the spectrum of threat intelligence, geopolitical analysis, and strategic insights. He would go on to build capabilities to serve a constantly growing community of interest at Uber and deliver insights to shape engagement strategies, advise business decisions, and continually protect his colleagues and the community of riders and drivers they served in cities across the globe. So far, you know, all of this sounds great. It sounds great to me, and I think a lot of companies think similarly when building intelligence teams. Jacob's direct supervisor at the time was Matt Henley, Uber's director of threat operations, commonly referred to as threat ops. Now, I know Matt. Matt has been very helpful to me during my career. And, and once again, I, I have to state, as I did with Joe, Joe Sullivan, that Matt's reputation in the cybersecurity community is impeccable. It's impeccable. Um, now, after I said some similar things about Joe Sullivan a few weeks ago, somebody started beating me up on social media, saying it was the purest example of the good old boys club he's ever seen. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It isn't. All right? It's not. I don't know what's true in this letter any more than most people not familiar with the situation at Uber. So I'm not going to slam someone or indict someone who I personally have knowledge of being an astute and respected professional for many, many years in the cybersecurity community. So, so go write what you want to write because I'm just not going to do it. And, and I think you have, to be, you have to try to be fair to everyone. These people haven't spoken yet. And whatever this letter says, it says, and it's newsworthy, and we're going to talk about it, but I don't know what's true and what isn't. So the letter goes on to say that Jacobs also reported to Joe Sullivan, Uber's chief security officer. So Jacobs additionally followed orders from Craig Clark, Uber's legal director for threat ops, who later became a direct report to Sullivan, though Clark was not a part of Jacobs' direct management chain. So the narrative describes some unlawful activities within Uber's Threat Ops division, which resides at the 555 Market Street location. Threat Ops was divided into three different teams, each with, or I'm sorry, into several different teams, each with distinct roles. So for purpose of this letter, only relevant teams are listed below. And now, so this will be interesting to some of us to learn how a company's threat operations are structured. Because I, and I want to go over this, you know, if you're really familiar with cyber intelligence operations and you're a cyber intelligence analyst, maybe not so interesting. But if you're not in this business, you're probably going to find it very interesting, especially to know that this is actually what goes on in, 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 in a company like Uber. So there's a global intelligence team, the strategic services group, the investigations group, the law enforcement outreach group, the marketplace analytics group, referred to in this document as the MA group, and finally the counterintelligence group. Pretty comprehensive for a cab company, I would say. So 
The global intelligence team is responsible for intelligence analysis. This team serves Uber's physical security team and other Uber internal customers, primarily the city teams and regional policy, legal, and management officials. The team's product line spans protective intelligence, geopolitical analysis, market entry and launch, and strategic intelligence on regulatory issues, opposition, and uh, competitive risk. So the strategic services group is the second team. And this SSG group is responsible for human intelligence, commonly referred to in my business as human collection through Uber in-house personnel or outside vendors. So this team supports the Intel investigations and marketplace analytics teams. It also re receives confidential assignments from its manager, Nick Jacinto. In addition, Henley, Clark, Sullivan, and Uber's senior executives task SSG with assignments. And so the letter goes on to say that SSG frequently engaged in fraud and theft work and employed third-party vendors to obtain unauthorized data or information. That's an accusation. <laughs> it didn't say anti-fraud and theft work. It said it engaged in fraud and theft and employed third-party vendors to obtain unauthorized data or information. And the concept of human intelligence inside corporations is not really discussed too much. So third part, uh, third team is investigations, responsible for handling accusations of abuse of Uber's internal data and tools, leaks, criminal complaints, defense against aggressive competitor attacks, and other missions as assigned by Henley Sullivan and the director of physical security, Jeff Jones. Fourth team is the law enforcement outreach team, responsible for proactively building relationships with the law enforcement community to train them on how to interact with Uber request data related to criminal investigations, and build productive relationships with foreign and domestic markets to support Uber's request from law enforcement. The fifth team is the Marketplace Analytics Team, and under its senior manager, Kevin Mayer, MA exists expressly for the purpose of acquiring trade secrets, code base, and competitive intelligence, including deriving key business metrics of supply, demand, and the function of applications from major ride-sharing competitors globally. Henley and Sullivan also task MA with assignments. MA grew rapidly during Jacob's tenure from only two original employees when Jacob's joined the company to at least 10 when he left. The sixth team is the counterintelligence team. The threat ops formed new counterintelligence team for the express purpose of identifying aggressive operations targeting Uber and to, quote, strike back at its competitors. Crazy stuff. These are the teams. We're going to take a break. We've set the stage for what the letter alleges. We're going to take a, a, a really short break to hear from our commercial sponsors, and we'll be right back to start reviewing the specific criminal and ethical accusations made in the letter against Uber. And let me tell you, there's some serious ones, I can promise you. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. 
Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Private equity firms have over $1 trillion to invest. They are the biggest funding source for growing companies. Why do they reject 98% of deals? How do you get the right deal for your company? Join Kevin Fechtmeyer and his partners on the Deal Team 6 to uncover the next winning deal and avoid the financial landmines. Deal Junkie, Cracking the Private Equity Code, is broadcast live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice America. The Business Channel. Each week, Larry Sternberg joins Dr. Kim Turnage to explore management issues from culture to discipline in Managing to Make a Difference. Join Talent Plus for 60 minutes of dynamic conversation, including real-life management examples helping you manage teams across the globe. This series airs on Voice America, the Business Channel, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Managing to Make a Difference every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. In short, the next section of the letter says that Uber employees committed SOX violations. The Sarbanes-Oxley Act of 2002 states that whoever knowingly alerts, destroys, mutilates, conceals, cover-ups, falsifies, and then does a whole bunch of other stuff and to influence investigation or proper administration of any matter within the jurisdiction of any department or agency of the United States or any case filed under Title XI, or in any relation to or contemplation of any such matter or case, shall be fined under this title, imprisoned, not more than 20 years or both. 20 years. That's some heavy-duty stuff right there. So the letter, the letter refers to 18 U.S.C., 1519, which has a provision that applies to private companies and has a broad reach that is not limited to commenced litigation. In other words, it doesn't have to be already commenced. It could be something that would happen in the future. So section 1519 covers conduct intended to impede any federal investigation or proceeding, including one not even on the verge of commencement. The letter alleges that Uber has knowingly violated 18 U.S.C., 1519 and continues to do so today. So, Craig Clark's 
Uber's legal director for threat ops, and Matt Henley, Uber's director of threat operations, led Uber's efforts to evade current and future discovery requests, court orders, and government investigations in violation of state and federal law, as well as ethical rules governing the legal profession, the letter alleges. Alleges. So, this... this, uh, this whistleblower letter goes on to say that Clark devised training and provided advice intended to impede, obstruct, or influence the investigation of several ongoing lawsuits against Uber and in relation to or contemplation of further matters within the jurisdiction of the United States. So early in his tenure, Jacobs advocated for a secure and encrypted centralized database to ensure confidentiality and record keeping, but provide access to intelligence for threat ops personnel. He presented a draft proposal to managers Henley and Clark. However, discussions broke down immediately because they objected to preserving any intelligence that would make preservation and legal discovery a simple process for future litigants. Clark emphasized that this was exactly what we don't want to do, create a paper trail that could later be discoverable. So Clark noted the errors of past collections where Uber was forced to turn over documents, the letter describes. The letter goes on to say that he alluded to lessons learned from the quote-unquote ergo investigation and noted that encryption alone was not enough to avoid discovery. Jacinto added his own objections, stating that while his team would be willing to share some details on collections, including sources and methods of collections on the ground in foreign countries, they were not willing to preserve the raw intelligence on Uber's network. Jacobs then became aware that Uber, primarily through Clark and Henley, had implemented a sophisticated strategy to destroy, conceal, cover up, and falsify records or documents with the intent to impede or obstruct government investigations as well as discovery obligations in pending and future litigation. Besides violating 18 U.S.C. 1519, Jacobs also claims that this conduct constitutes an ethical violation. Now, I just want to remind our listeners that this is what the Jacobs whistleblower letter says. This is not my opinion. And I'm just reading some of the quotes from the letter and opining on some of the things that, that, uh, that, that are said relative to, to my experience. So we'll, we'll, I guess we'll have to see in a court of law whether this proves out to be true or not. But this is what Jacobs is alleging about his former supervisors, uh, Clark and, and Henley. So Clark and Henley helped implement and direct and directed the almost exclusive use of ephemeral and encrypted communication software, including WickerMe and later WickerSkiff, to communicate sensitive information within threat ops. Wicker Incorporated is a San Francisco-based company that describes its product as a communications platform designed to empower greater control over data security using multi-layers of peer-to-peer encryption. So everybody in the cybersecurity knows what Wicker is. I mean, it's, it's being used, it's almost commonplace now. I mean, I love Wicker. I think Wicker is a great company, which provides a great service for people. I, I don't think just because you use Wicker doesn't make you guilty of anything, really. I mean, not even close, I mean, in my mind. But it's a matter of, you know, there's a lot that goes, a lot goes into it other than, you know, so what, some guys use Wicker. Big deal. Henley and and Clark implemented this program of ephemeral and encrypted communications for the express purpose of destroying evidence of illegal or unethical practices to avoid discovery and actual potential litigation. The Wicker application uses robust encryption, which prevents the information from being viewed by anyone except the intended recipient, but more importantly, programs messages to self-destruct in a matter of seconds to no longer than six days. Sort of Mission Impossible stuff. 
Consequently, Uber employees cannot be compelled to produce records at their chat conversations because no record is retained. Such a policy is inherently violative of Sarbanes-Oxley Act 18 U.S.C. Section 1519 and other similar laws of the state of California that I didn't mention before for the sake of brevity. So now I I don't know how true this is. And just because someone uses Wicker doesn't mean they're breaking the law. I mean, I, I would imagine it would depend on what information they are exchanging and if they are required to keep it. So I, I hope to have an attorney on the show to give their legal opinions about some of the legality of some of the things mentioned in this letter. But right now, I'm not really sure that on its face it shows a, a legal violation. So further, Clark and Henley directed, instructed, and directly instructed Jacobs to conceal documents in violation of Sarbanes-Oxley by attempting to shroud them with attorney-client privilege or work product pr- protections. Clark taught the threat ops team that if they marked communications as draft asked for legal opinion at the beginning of an email, and simply wrote, quote-unquote, attorney-client privilege on documents, they would be immune from discovery. What Clark failed to teach the team, however, is that there is no attorney-client privilege, which is a seal of secrecy, if the communications were made for the purpose of enabling the commission of a crime or fraud. For example, Clark enabled illegal activities and gave legal advice designed to impede investigations by directing the hacking of an entity that is redacted from the letter and by directing the destruction of evidence related to eavesdropping against opposition groups. Opposition groups. That that term caught me a little bit off guard for a cab company. The location and identity of these alleged victims is redacted throughout the whole document. So given the ongoing criminal and fraudulent activities within Uber, the crime-slash-fraud exception to privilege applies, and all of Clark's communications and furtherance of these schemes would be fair game in discovery, the letter says. The letter ends this section by saying, his attempt to preemptively conceal them under attorney-client privilege is illegal, unethical, and improper. So the next section of the letter goes on to say that Clark, Jacinto, and Henley acquired non-attributable hardware and software which SSG and select members of ThreatOps planned and executed intelligence collection operations. Specifically, Henley and members of the MA, that's the market intelligence team, used computers not directly purposed by Uber that operate only on MiFi devices that the internet traffic would not appear to originate from an Uber network. So, only virtual public networks or VPNs in a distributed and non-attributable architecture of contracted Amazon Web Service space was used to conduct competitive intelligence collections against other ride-sharing companies. So, likewise, Jacinto and the SSG team had similar non-attributable devices purchased through vendors and sub-vendors where they conducted virtual operations impersonating protesters, Uber partner drivers, taxi operators, and a bunch of other people, it says. So SSG used the devices to store raw information collected by their operatives from politicians, regulators, law enforcement, taxi organizations, and labor unions, and at a minimum, the U.S. and other geolocations that were redacted from the letter that we can't see. So get what the letter says here now. It says Uber operatives were collecting intelligence from law enforcement and politicians and even regulators to help them further their business. I'd like to know exactly what that means. So by storing this data on non-attributable devices, 
Uber believed it would avoid detection and never be subjected to legal discovery. This is because a standard preservation of evidence order, t- order typically focused on Uber work laptops, Uber networks, and Uber mobile devices. Non-attributable devices were deemed as not reasonably subsumed by any such preservation order, and the team could and did legally dispose of any evidence or documentation held on these devices in the intervening period before knowledge of the devices existed and could be uncovered. Likewise, members of the threat ops team, notably Matt Henley, the letter says, were known to use personal computers to conduct substantial Uber-related work for the purpose of evading discovery. So again, I'm not so sure that using a non-Uber computer to conduct, for instance, maybe research or, or collect intelligence on an organized crime group, it means it's a violation of anything. I mean, I would have to get a lawyer to opine on this, but I guess it all comes down to what exactly the computer is being used for. And, and if that data would ever fall under any type of preservation order issued by a court. So not so clear to me on its face again. So the next section of the letter talks about the falsification of records through the abuse of attorney-client privilege designations. It says that Clark developed training on how to use attorney-client privilege to further conceal activities described in any non-ephemeral communication channel. Specifically, he developed a training using innocuous legal examples and the quote-unquote lawyer dog mem to produce a slide deck that taught the threat ops team how to utilize attorney-client privilege to impede discovery. Now, attorney-client privilege is an acceptable practice and privilege used every day. So I'm not so sure it says on the deck, hey, here's how to use attorney-client privilege to quote-unquote uh, impede discovery. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it said that, but the letter gets into exactly that here in coming up. So the letter says, while the presentation slides themselves did not depict or explain any unethical or illegal practices involving attorney-client privilege, plaintiff observed Clark's presentation firsthand. So during the presentation, Clark verbally coached the participants on how to use attorney-client privilege to ensure sensitive intelligence collection activities would not surface in litigation. Clark also answered specific questions from employees on the minimum standards required to claim privilege for the purpose of shielding information. This quote-unquote legal training was particularly noteworthy because it surprisingly bears no Uber branding. It does not even mention Uber, which is a startling in a company with strong branding and adherence to process the letter says. The letter goes on to say that Clark said that Uber needed to shroud these work products in attorney-client privilege. And accordingly, Clark instructed Jacobs himself and others to address all emails on sensitive intelligence collection to him and ensure the emails were marked as, quote, attorney-client privilege and confidential and to mark any work product as draft, regardless of its actual status, and on every communication to specifically ask a question or request legal advice on some issue, even if no legal advice was needed or warranted. Likewise, he advised that Jacobs and others that they should communicate almost exclusively via phone, video teleconference using Zoom, or via the Wicker app, in that order of preference based on the record and audit trail each communications medium creates. Clark explained that the intent was to prevent disclosure of such communications if Jacobs was ever to put on legal hold or his communications were ever subject to a preservation of evidence order. In reality, Jacobs observed that many communications camouflaged as privileged merely contained a pro forma request from Clark's legal advice, even though no legal advice or direction was actually being solicited. 
So the letter goes on to say that in summary, Uber has directly violated the document destruction, concealment, cover-up, and falsifications provision of SOX in an effort to obstruct or impede active or future government investigations through one, acquisition and use of ephemeral communications programs, two, the acquisition and use of non-attributable hardware and software, and number three, the wholesale abuse of attorney-client privilege designations. The letter says that Clark and Henley's directives described above specifically implicate ongoing discovery disputes such as those in Uber's litigation with Waymo. Hence, now we know why the Department of Justice reached out to the Waymo judge. So specifically, Jacobs recalls that Jake Nokun, Nick Jacinto, and Ed Russo went to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to educate Uber's autonomous vehicle group on using the above practices with the specific intent of preventing Uber's unlawful schemes from seeing the light of day. Jacobs' observations cast doubt on Uber's representation in court proceedings that no documents evidencing wrongdoing can be found on Uber systems and other communications are actually shielded by the attorney-client privilege. Lawyers for Waymo also said that Uber had blocked the release of 3,500 documents related to the acquisition of Otto on the grounds that they contained privilege information. Waymo also can't quit quite pinned down whether Uber employees saw the stolen documents or if those documents moved anywhere beyond the computer Lewandowski allegedly used to steal them. The letter then referenced several articles from Wired.com dealing the specifics of those accusations. So I've run out of time. I gotta go. Tune in next week to hear the rest of what I have to say about the Jacobs whistleblower letter to Uber. And don't forget to visit Cybersecurity Hub to catch a recap of tonight's show and other cybersecurity breaking news at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 